Genre. Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate the movie Spider-Man, one legal minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. <laughs> and I'm Zach Luna. And today on the show, we're talking about Minute 3, which starts with the credit for uh, Danny Elfman's score and ends with uh with with the with the title sequence building toward the crescendo of a final credit. Yeah. What that final credit is will remain a mystery until tomorrow. <laughs> um, so with this minute, I just thought it would be a good idea because one of the things, if you guys are noticing, we're not really talking about, um, we talked a lot about the credit sequence yesterday, mm-hmm. but we're not really talking about the specific credits because we're wanting to save a lot of these for when we're covering the end credits at the right. end of the movie. Yeah. Um, so we're not wanting to bring up a lot of this now. Right. Uh, so what we are going to talk about today instead is that um, how, how the hell did this movie get made? Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> uh, last we talked about um, Carol Co. owned the rights to uh to 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 Spider-Man. Spider-Man and, and, yeah. and we don't we don't know what what happened there. Um, well, Basically, what happened was that uh, Carol Co. and let's see. So in 96, Carol Co., 21st Century Films and Marvel all went bankrupt. Wow. In at around the same time, MGM purchased a lot of 21st Century Films library and assets, which is a normal thing that happens. Sure. Um, but when it does that, 21st Century Films, which of course also owned Carol Co., like they they were sort of in bed together. Yeah. So in this uh, acquisition, MGM required the uh, the rights to all drafts and versions of every screenplay, every Spider-Man screenplay, including the one written by James Cameron. Wow. And uh, it also allowed them to uh, they basically had um, the the Spider-Man rights uh, at this point. Now, yeah, the other thing that happened was that Marvel, because they had claimed bankruptcy, felt that their rights and the, that they had claimed bankruptcy and the company that they sold their rights to had also claimed bankruptcy. They felt, well, then all of our rights are reverted back to us so we can sell them again. Sure. Yeah. So they sell the rights to Sony pictures entertainment, uh, specifically to Columbia. Wow. Was was this the same time that they were like selling like X-Men stuff to Fox and getting right? This is 99. 
99. Sell it all, keep the company afloat type of right. decision making. Okay. Exactly. Um, and so they did that, but MGM was like, ah, uh, no, 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 no. We own the Spider-Man rights because of, you know, acquiring the, the assets from 21st century films and Carol Co. Right. And they're like, well, but that's null and void because they're bankrupt companies. They don't own anything. Right. Yeah. There aren't assets and, to speak of. And, and so for, you know, for like two years, it seemed like a Spider-Man movie wasn't going to happen. Wow. Except for this little miracle that happened. So oh <laughs> if you know anything about James Bond, do you remember a movie that came out in the 80s called Never Say Never Again? Uh, it sounds vaguely familiar, uh, but I guess that question is also to any of the listeners, if you remember. <laughs> right. Never so so Sean, Sean Connery yeah. came back and mm. played an aging James Bond in what was largely a remake to Thunderball. Yes. It was now the, the, the Broccoli's and MGM own James Bond. Right. However, the writer of Thunderball, the screenplay somehow retained his rights to his script and sold it to Columbia who made <laughs> never say never again. And somehow due to some crazy legal loopholes, they yeah. were allowed to do this. That's wild. And now at this point, Columbia owned many, like they owned all of Thunderball and mm -hmm. many of the characters and elements from James Bond mythology due to owning Thunderball. Okay. So basically this is what happened. Yeah. Columbia, knowing full well that they can't make a James Bond movie unless they just remake Thunderball a third time. Uh-huh. But they could sue MGM for using elements from Thunderball in their James Bond movies. <laughs> so what they do is be like, okay, <laughs> here's what we got. We have the, th we have Thunderball. We are willing to part with Thunderball and all James Bond character and elements within. Uh -huh. If you relinquish control of your portion of Spider-Man and we call the whole thing even. That is absolutely incredible and so that's what they did and that's how sony ended up with all of the spider-man rights wow yeah. they're literally leveraging like one aspect of a fantasy not fantasy but like a, a fantastical franchise property against another one as Lynn like yeah you give me a little bit of your of your pudding cups and i'll give you back but, the rest of your and, chips and what's yeah. crazy about it what's crazy about it zach is like <laughs> Business, the business side of of my head says <laughs> nothing about this makes sense. What makes sense is that you say, oh, you want Spider-Man? We'll sell you Spider-Man if you give us James Bond. James Bond is the proven property, not Spider-Man. <laughs> like, like, it doesn't does make that... any business sense. Like, yeah. the Columbia just really believed in Spider-Man. And the thing that's crazy is, like, X-Men hadn't even been released yet no yeah. one knew what what superhero films were going to do for hollywood yeah yet. nobody nobody had like a magical almanac uh no. that that's there's who i would would love to be able to track down who it was that was like so gung-ho 
about the property that was willing to like make that bet because it's basically a bet that like this unproven property that we want to get our hands back on is worth more in perpetuity than getting to have you know some more uh tangles with the james bond franchise you know that that like that bet of let's get our whole hands on this character i think it'll pay off is insane it's it's i mean it it doesn't seem insane now obviously when we've got you know the, the six biggest movies coming out every year are, you know, something that Warner brothers is making about Batman or something that Marvel is making with Iron Man in it. But it then, I mean, when this deal went down 99, something like that, or was it like, it was, it was, it was like an 18 month long process between 99 and 2001. And then it, and then finally all cylinders were, were ready to fire on like trying this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it was like, like the paint, like the ink didn't dry until just before filming began in January of 2001. That's absolutely incredible. That- um, in fact, a lot of this, like this whole thing could have just been another movie on that list of stuff that like could have been made and wasn't right. Yeah. If, if this didn't work out when it did, it worked out just in time. Wow. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. Um, I, it's just, I'm not saying that like this specific movie is a miracle, but like that all movies are miracle that they can even happen. If you go even, if you peek a little bit behind the curtain of like how anything comes to the screen, it it seems insane to, to, to think that anything gets made, let alone is ever good. But that this, Uh this specific timeline over the last like three days that we've been talking about is so so convoluted and weird and i'm i'm immensely thankful that it happened the way it did and all those roadblocks happened in the correct order Mm -hmm. that we ended up in this timeline because i think this is a good timeline to be be in honestly as a superhero fan um I, i i doubt i don't know if um the other thing too that is worth talking about is the um the technology that was changing in, in the in the landscape of it, I, I think you could have made a Spider-Man movie at at any point along this road. I think you could have made a profitable Spider-Man movie yeah. if, you know, all of the cards were were aligned and everything was was working out properly where you had a good script and people who believed in the project and, you know, people who were willing to be very creative about how to get around things. Yes, I think you could have made a Spider-Man movie in the 70s or you know, the mid nineties, but to make a version of Spider-Man that paints with as big a brushstroke as, as possible, where, where we have these incredible feats and uh, you know, played out across the sky in New York mm-hmm. city in a, a, a believable, tangible way. Right. You also, will, you will bela- believe a man will, sw- can swing, can, right? Yeah. <laughs> you will believe a, a spider can spin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it doesn't, um, the the truth of it the 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 believability of it in a certain respect that is necessary to bring on an audience as wide as it had i don't i don't think can imagine cuz like obviously the the batman film and um you know the first couple superman films were big hits uh you know by anybody's estimation they were they're they're big hits but it wasn't like we can build our entire you know uh a studio tentpole system around these 
you know, superhero pictures. It wasn't like that at that time. Um, for right. this, for this to land the way it did, it couldn't just be, you know, one of those pajama pictures or whatever. How, like, how, how do you, how do you get it to that? And I, I do think a key part in that is around 2001, 2002, this new revolution of digital technology, which, you know, is its own double-edged sword that we can have discussions about uh, when we start seeing it in action, but that we were able to make a Spider-Man film that looked like the most elaborate visions of Spider-Man, that the, that you could sell the swinging and the jumping and the landing and the fighting and the the the, the comic panels exploding outward in all these ways seamlessly. I mean, not mm-hmm. totally seamlessly, like we, we can see where they are, but that it looked real enough to sell the illusion to a wider general public audience, I think is, is its own factor. And that happens now happens yeah. in 2002. That's it. This weird protracted legal battle, these starts and stops with, you know, properties being sold and companies being sold and going to bankrupt and being rebought postponed this film until, until a point where it could be made on this large of a scale and succeed that way. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to like give all of the credit to that. Obviously most of the credit goes to the character and the stories and the performances and the director and the, the creative team that, that believed in it and wanted to make just a, a good movie. That's, mm-hmm. that's the only thing that make that gives you a, a legacy beyond your opening weekend. So, and speaking of that, yeah. When, when Sony pictures, optioned all of MGM's script versions that they owned of Spider-Man. It only purchased out of those Mm -hmm. the Cameron material, um, which is what it was referred to as. Yeah. That was the only one that they purchased. Yeah. Um, And they gave that because they couldn't, at this point we're talking, this is, this is 2000. Yeah. Um, They couldn't, pay for James Cameron because James Cameron <laughs> was a force to be reckoned with, with now because Titanic was the biggest movie of all time. Yeah. Yeah. There was no getting James Cameron. They would, they would never be able to afford him. This would right. be, this would have suddenly been a $300 million movie. Like, right. Like immediately just can't do it. Yeah. Just can't do it. Wow. Um, so, uh, they had the 45 page script meant that James Cameron wrote and that's what they started with. Mm hmm. And they gave that to David Kep, who wrote a first draft that was largely they the the purpose of the first draft was largely to be like, okay, let's take this scriptment as like as gospel. Right. Show us what a feature script of this would look like. Right. And they did he did. David Kep's first draft was a feature length script version of James Cameron's forty-five page scriptment. Just translating with, that, yeah. Right. With with Electro and Sandman and and everything, the whole thing. Um, which Electro and Sandman, I, I just you get those combination of villains. I'm like, okay, it ends with electro with turning Sandman into glass. Yeah, yeah of, course. of course. Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> um, it's like, it's, 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 it's so telegraphed. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so then uh, they, they, they got the script. Didn't like it mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. You know, it sure. wasn't particularly wholesome yeah. and it's not 
There's what they wanted happening. this to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so they asked him to do a page one rewrite, start over, mm-hmm. right? Take like take like elements and things that you think you might work, mm-hmm. um, and and start over. And he started over from scratch. The only thing that he kept from Cameron's version was the biological web shooters, organic web shooters, right? right organic on. web shooters. But and we so, do we do now know that they did at least shoot some test stuff with the mechanical. Right, right. So I'm sure like, you know, up until, you know, very close, like they were, they were, uh, they were looking at it. Yeah. They were, they were trying to figure out like, "Eh, maybe tweaking some things. Yeah. Right. Um, so Kep's rewrite, uh, Mm -hmm. which it, it has Green Goblin as the main antagonist, Mm -hmm. but also includes Dr. Octopus as a secondary antagonist. Awesome. Um, and uh, and and that script, which I have, I will be referring to a lot. Okay. Because that draft, that kept draft, is the final draft that kept wrote for the movie. And yet, really, as you see, he got sole screenwriting credit. Well, um, the his kept second draft mm-hmm. was given to Scott Rosenberg. Right. Um. Who, uh, well, I mean, first of all, David Kep, David Kep, writer of Jurassic Park. Right. Yeah. Um, that should be, that should be, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, pointed out, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so David Kep, you know, great writer. Sure. Wrote a version of the script, the second draft, the non-Cameronized draft. And then, uh, that draft was given to Scott Rosenberg. Scott Rosenberg was the writer of such films as Con Air, and disturbing behavior. Oh, okay. And yeah. gone in sixty seconds. Yeah. So, um, so he rewrote it, and he took out, uh, he removed Doctor Octopus, and created new action sequences. Right. Um, and then that script was then given to uh, Laura Ziskin. Give, gave it to her husband, Alvin Sargent. Wow. Um, Alvin Sargent, who uh had actually he has he had wrote on all of the spider-man movies except for spider-man amazing spider-man 2 oh wow um so but he wrote on every one of them wow uh up to that point but uh most of his writing credits he seemed to be largely a um script doctor uh-huh so- uh he he seemed to be largely like an uncredited you know, come like, in, do a pass of this, make it work right. a little better. Uh, I think they're called, um, they're like called like dailies. Like mm-hmm. he would do dailies or, or weeklies or whatever. Yeah. That sort of thing where they're just like, we have, we're having a problem figuring this out. Can you fix it? And he's like, this is how I'd fix it. And they'd be like, great, here's a million dollars. Go fix it. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and so, so like, that's, that's, that's a, the thing that he did a lot. Awesome. Um, and it helps that your, your wife is a producer. <laughs> I think it would. Yeah. That's probably, yeah. Uh, um, so he, so Alan Sargent polished the dialogue, uh, mm-hmm. primarily the dialogue between Peter and Mary Jane. Um, mm-hmm. and then when they took the script to arbitration with the Writers Guild of America, Rosenberg, Sargent, and James Cameron, all three voluntarily relinquished credit to David Kep. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I, I honestly think if Rosenberg hadn't voluntarily relinquish credit, uh-huh. I think he would have gotten shared screenplay credit screenplay with credit. David Kep. Huh. Um, because it sounds like he's the one who added the most. Yeah. 
Uh, he added the father son relationship, like the, mm-hmm. like the, the, the triangle, the, the father son triangle. Oh, sure. Norman, yeah. Norman Peter, and Peter and Harry. And Harry. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. He added all that. And like, uh-huh. he added action sequences. I mean, he added a lot to this yeah. that he is uncredited for. Totally. Um, which is why I'm going to be constantly referring to the kept draft, the original kept draft, because so that we can see, see where those. Yeah, yeah. Right. Where's the differences, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's um, fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then now on the directing sti- side, mm-hmm. um, this is interesting because uh, what we had was basically um, the studio had lined up the following directors as uh, people they took meetings with mm-hmm. and tried to get pitches from and things. Right. So Roland Emmerich. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Roland Emmerich. Um, interesting choice. I uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That would have been weird. That would have been a little weird. I think this is too small for Roland Emmerich. Right, this is yeah. like Roland Emmerich directing this would be like Roland Emmerich directing like a Sundance movie. Like it just, <laughs> it's, it's weird. Yeah. Um, as we talked scale. about, mm-hmm. yeah. As we talked about with the World Trade Center teaser, Tony Scott. Totally. Um, yeah. Was, was at the top of the studio's list uh, for this. Hot commodity, uh, Tony, Tony Scott. Yeah. Chris yeah. Columbus, which... Oh, makes okay. a lot of sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. Makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, you know, he would he would then go on to do Harry Potter at the right. same time. Right. I was going to say this is about the exact time they'd be well, or even a little earlier trying to figure out how who to help right. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just around the same time, uh-huh. Ang Lee who would go on to direct Hulk. That's right. Yeah. Uh for Universal. Oh, wow. Um Jan DeBont, who I don't hmm. know by name. I don't know by um, name. Either. Jean Jean DeBont. Uh hmm. Director of Basic Instinct, The Hunt oh. for Red October. Oh, uh, okay. Oh no, he's a di- those were okay. He was a director of photography on that. He oh, directed Speed and Twister. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So a um, little bit of a journeyman. Can, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speed. Yeah. Speed and Twister. I can see visual elements of that working in right, Spider Man. Right. Right. Stylistically, and, at least, it's not so off off the wall. Yeah, yeah. and he's good with characters because. Sure. I don't know. I don't remember anything about Speed and Twister about the action in those, but I no. remember the characters. Exactly. Yeah. You know? So that's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. I can so see why okay. they court that sort of. Okay. Good. Sure. Good. Um, and then uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, whoa. Okay. M. Yeah. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Um, who uh, I think because he didn't get this job, he went and made Unbreakable, Unbreakable. instead. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um. And then, yeah, because M Night Shyamalan was fresh off of Sixth Sense, right? And and that's that was like your calling card to. I mean, like it, people almost use M Night Shyamalan's uh name as like a slight pejorative these days, but like, right? I mean, he was the. I mean, he was like on the cover of Time or something, saying like the next Spielberg. Like people were willing yeah. to like let him take a crack at almost anything back then. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, and then, of, of course, that leaves us with our last two, the two that got the farthest, mm-hmm. uh, David Fincher <laughs> and Sam Raimi. Um, so he, here's what happened. So Sam Raimi uh-huh. came to his pitch and he was like, look, I don't want to get 
in the way with what you guys have planned. Like I'm re- re- willing to work with you. I just want you to know that, you know, I grew up with Spider-Man. I woke ev- up every morning. Spider-Man was the first thing I saw every, every morning because I had a Spider-Man poster above my bed. Yep. Like Spider-Man means this to me and this to me. And, and I think he's the greatest superhero ever made and blah, blah, blah. And like, just really talked from a passion place. Yeah. Um, and then David Fincher was like, okay, here's what I want. I don't want to do the origin story, <laughs> which is ridiculous. It's like yeah. the first Spider-Man movie. Right. It's- um, <laughs> he wanted to do a movie based on the night Gwen Stacy died. Whoa. Yeah. Which Whoa. it's funny that David Fincher was like one of the last, he was, he was, he was the other guy. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because of what you talked about with the title sequence, with the seven title sequence. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I'm I'm wondering if the title sequence wouldn't have just been the origin if he had right. directed. I I almost I would almost a hundred percent think it would be at that yeah. point. Yeah, because right. that's that's what they're always talking about. That's what they did for like when they did the Incredible Hulk title sequence and things like that. It's just get this right. out of the way. Here's an origin story. It's done. You know, type right, thing. right. Which is a totally valid approach to making a superhero movie, especially these days. But if you're making the first big superhero movie, the first like huge one mm-hmm. and and a character whose most famous story is his origin yeah you kind of assume that you would go with the origin story that's it's the and, and it's crazy because this yeah. was not a time like today where people are like okay we can stop with the origin stories exactly people get yeah. it they know yeah. superheroes like whatever yeah um at, like this is there were no superhero movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's like the idea of not doing an origin story is kind of absurd yeah um but yeah, wow. he just wanted to skip right to the night Gwen Stacy died because uh, it was the thing he was most was interested thing he, in. Yeah, was interesting. Yeah, and the studio was like, no. So they, they went with <laughs> Sam Raimi. Um, and that's how he got the job. And then he Way got go. the job, read David Kep's draft, had notes, and that's when they hired Scott Rosenberg and right. the rest of the drafts followed. Um, and, uh, and then that's how we got to uh, production kicking off on uh, January 8th of 2001. Wow. It's that's my uh that's my my theme for these first couple of uh of minutes here. Uh wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We made it. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um no, it's just Spider-Man actually. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Not no. <laughs> We're not going <laughs> to We got a few years we before gotta, we yeah, get that. We got a couple years amazing. before we get that under our belt. Spectacular <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. Uh that's pretty. <laughs> um so yeah, so that's uh, that's that. I, that's and that's all I've got to really talk about um, yeah. for this minute. Uh, that's next, great. Uh, tomorrow we start the movie proper. Yeah, tomorrow we start to see the moving pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what we've been, what I at that point as a kid had been, you know, dreaming about since I was, um, you know, probably five or six. The the idea of being able to see a real life Spider Man movie. Uh, yeah. Can't wait to be there with you guys for it. Should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow. Um, in the meantime, you know, go to duelinggenre.com and check out uh, the other podcasts that we've got going on there. We've mm-hmm. got, uh, you know, back to the, I'm, I'm wrapping up back to the future minute part three uh, mm-hmm. and uh, with, with, with my, my co-host Nick Jimenez. Um, I believe uh uh, at this point, the Doctor's Companion is back and in full s- swing, uh, covering the new season of Doctor Who. So if nice. that's the thing that you're into, uh, go check that out. Of course, 
Lord of the Rings, uh, which you can hear Zach on a That's week right. of. <laughs> um, I know Zach is going to be on another week of uh, Back to the Future Minute, but I don't know if it has aired yet. Right. Um, yeah. Because. But- uh, that's we'll too much out. math for my brain to handle right now. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so go check out, uh, check that out. Harry Potter minute, all that stuff. Um, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about minute four and the start of the movie proper. See you guys then. Bye.